so good to be uh, here with you guys and have the family together. Love you, Josh and Jess. Thanks again for just your friendship. And we get to journey and do this thing together. And it's so fun and so life-giving. I love this church. This morning, as I was up uh, sitting on my couch, I just said, Holy Spirit, what is something that you are saying about vertical? What's something that 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 what's something that's just on your heart right now about vertical church? And I heard, I really feel like this is from the Holy Spirit. I feel like these two words were dropped in my spirit. I heard good soil, good soil. And the way I began to think about that was that we are in this for the long haul. We are in this for generations. You plant a seed in the ground and, you know, if it's an oak tree, it takes a long time to grow. You know, it takes hundreds of years, but we are in this generation. This, the seeds that we sow right now matter for generations. They matter for 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 100 years from now, you know, and so I believe that this is a place of good soil. And I, I just, I just have a, a real sense that that you're on the right track, that God is just calling you guys into something very special. And again, good soil. Well, how many guys remember uh, 2019? It feels like a decade ago, doesn't it? When I think about 2019, it feels like a completely different lifetime. And at the end of 2019, or maybe the first Sunday of 2020, us preacher types, we stood up and we, we said, God's given us 2020 vision in 2020. We all did it. You know, God's bringing more clarity. It's going to be an amazing year, 2020. And then March of 2020 hits. And we thought, okay, a couple, couple weeks of shutdown and 18, whatever it is now, 20 months later, we're still dealing with something that has completely and radically changed our world and changed the way we do everything, you know? And so, so you know, a lot of things can come out of nowhere to shake us up. Shaking can come out of nowhere, just like we've experienced in this last season that we've been in. And you know, when I think about something that just comes out of nowhere that kind of shakes people up, I think about earthquakes. An earthquake can just come out of nowhere, right? And so I thought this would be interesting. There's a, a guy named F.A. Hinn who lives through the San Francisco earthquake, and he writes a firsthand account. I just thought it was interesting what he wrote about his experience going through the San Francisco earthquake of 1906. And this is what he writes. He said, I went to the city Monday evening, and everything looked fair. Next morning, I went to the brickyard, and Tuesday evening, I attended a great deal of business, expecting to return home the next day. Just pick that up, expecting to return. Everything seems normal. Retired at 12.30 p.m. My room was on the first floor of the Palace Hotel, nearly over the lobby. At 5.15, I awakened. I felt the earthquake coming much harder than I had ever experienced. The plaster from all around the sides of the room fell in large pieces, while in the middle of the room where my bed was, only sand and dust came down. The quake seemed to continue more than five minutes, though it really lasted less than two. It seemed to try its best to shake me out of bed, but I succeeded in staying in. I thought that was a funny phrase. Like, there's this guy like, you're not shaking me out of my bed. I'm staying, bless God, you know. <laughs> as soon as it subsided, I arose, and I turned on the electric light. Its unsteadiness proved that there was an interference which indicated danger to the house being set afire. I dressed quickly. I went downstairs. No elevator running. I left my valise in the baggage room, and there being no car, started to walk down Market Street. But there were two fires on the street near the ferry, and I saw brick houses falling into the street. I went to Mission Street, but there I found it a fire and blocked up the same as Market Street. 
I went next to Howard Street, which was also on fire and blocked up to some extent, but I got down part of the way. Here I found ten head of cattle and some horses laying dead alongside one another with stones from the top of the building on top of them. Earthquakes can come out of nowhere. Things that shake us up in our lives can come out of nowhere. So for the next few minutes that we have together, I want to talk about how to navigate when life shakes us up a bit. And to do that, we're going to look at the early church in Acts chapter 4. Before we read Acts chapter 4, I just want to set this up for you a little bit. The church in Acts chapter 4 was in a really good season. Things were going really, really well. Just two chapters before, the Holy Spirit had come at Pentecost. They were filled with the Spirit. 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. Not long after that, another 5,000 people joined the church. We're talking about explosive church growth. Not only that, miracles were breaking out everywhere they went. Anytime they prayed for a sick person, they were healed. It was a really good time for the church. And then Acts chapter 4 happens, and they get shook up a little bit. Peter and John were ministering in the temple, and they got arrested for speaking about Jesus. And then we pick up the story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23 through 31. You'll see it on the screen, or you can follow along in your Bibles. I'm going to read this whole passage. It says this, After they were released, they went to their own people and reported everything the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together to God and said, Master, you are the one who made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant, why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot futile things? So the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers assemble together against the Lord and against his Messiah. For in fact, in this city, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, assembled together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, to do whatever your hand and your will have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, consider their threats, and grant that your servants may speak the word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand for healing and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they have prayed, the place that where they were assembled was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. What a unique and powerful moment that the church had together in Acts chapter 4. When I read this, I have several questions. Number one, why are the believers gathering to pray? What are they dealing with? Why did they quote Psalm chapter 2 in their prayer? And why was the building that they were in physically shaken? All throughout the book of Acts, you see when the believers are gathered that, that the Holy Spirit would come down. People would be filled with the Holy Spirit. They would speak in a heavenly language or they would speak in the word of God. They would prophesy. So that was kind of what would happen in, in, Acts chapter, in, in the book of Acts. But never do we see again or before the building shaking. What's going on with that? Well, I want to... First, answer the first question. Why were they gathering to pray and what were they dealing with? See, guys, we need to recognize the, the situation that the early church was in in the first century. They lived in a very difficult time. They were experiencing intense pressure from both the religious and the secular world. They were getting crushed on both sides from both of those entities. See, in the secular world, it was full of pagan idolatry at that time, sexual immorality and confusion. 
See, we're not the only ones. We're not the only church that has to deal with these things. In the first century, there was a lot of sexual confusion. There was disregard for human life. Children were just, if they were unwanted, they were just thrown away. They were just tossed aside. Women were very oppressed. Children were disposed of. There was nation building. There was genocide, and there was war. Does it sound familiar? The first century church dealt with these things too. And then on the other side, they were getting pressure from the religious elite or the religious world. There was political posturing. There was a marriage of political power with religious manipulation. The guys at the top were using religion to secure wealth and influence for themselves at the expense of everyone else. So they were getting crushed on both sides. And so they responded with united prayer. As they were dealing with this deep hardship, as they were dealing with being shaken up, everything's going so well, they run into a roadblock. They said, let's get together and pray. And they lifted their voice together. And the first thing they did in their prayer, one of the first things they do is they quote Psalm 2. See, I find that interesting because, number one, Psalm 2 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. So this is a psalm, this is a text that the early church would have been very familiar with. This is something that they would go to in times of trouble. This is something that was a foundational understanding for them, Psalm chapter 2. I'm going to read it in a minute, but I want to point out a few things. Number one, it's messianic. It's a psalm that actually mentions Jesus, as you'll see in a minute. It's also a warning. It's a warning to the nations of the earth to to make sure that they're right with God, to make sure that they're going in the right direction. It also establishes covenant relationship, as you'll see. And as I already said, it's the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. I want to read this over us today, and I'm going to go old school. I'm going to read it right from the the page, and you're not going to see it on the screen because I just want you to sit as, and hear the scripture being read over you. And just remember, as I'm reading, this was a scripture that was very important to the New Testament church. Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let's tear off their chains and throw off the ropes from us, they say. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord ridicules them, then he speaks to them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. And this is what he said. He said, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance. And the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with an iron scepter, and you will shatter them like pottery. Now, kings, be wise. Receive instruction, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverential awe and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, or he'll be angry, and you will perish in your rebellion. For his anger may ignite at any moment. All who take refuge in him are happy. So Psalm chapter 2 is written in four parts. I'm going to call them four acts. There's There's four paragraphs, and each one says something important about the nature and character of God and where we are. Now, there's some difficult language in there, anger, wrath, and all those things, but you've got to understand what this is. And so I want to go through this act by act. Act 1, Psalm 2, helps us understand that this world is in rebellion against God. Why is that important for us to understand? This is not necessarily, well, this world's in rebellion against God. Remember, we came from this world. We were in rebellion against God. 
This is not some kind of thing, well, bad people over there. No, this is just to understand because if we don't understand this, we'll go crazy. Because when, when the next, you know, crazy news article comes out about somebody doing something crazy or some nation doing something crazy, we can say, oh, that's right. Scripture teaches us there is a rebellion against God in this world. And this is a very much a theme that carries into the New Testament. Jesus said to his disciples, if the world hated me, the world's going to hate you too. So this is not a us versus them thing, but it's just to point out, you know, there's a spirit of this age or there's a there's something in this world that is rebellious against God. And remember, we came from that. We came from that. And then act two, it's a reminder that God is sovereign and he's not shaken by the threats of mankind. You know what the Bible says? It says that the kings of the earth, they come together. We're going we're gonna to come against God. We're going to throw off the constraints. And, and God's like laughing. He laughs at them. Not in mock, well, kind of in mockery, because like, how could you possibly do anything against me? You know, right now, my little seven-year-old boy, he wrestles me. You know, he can't beat me, right? So it's like, he's like, we're going to wrestle together. He has no chance of winning right now. This will be a day that he could probably, you know, it's going to come a day where he can take me out. But that's the kind of thing. It's like an ant, you know, shaking its little fist at a, at a human being. It's, it's, it, it doesn't work. So God is sovereign. He's not shaken by the threats of mankind. And that's important for us to remember. Acts 3, God's answer has always been Jesus and sonship. So if you look at the, the text there, it says that today I become your father. You're my son. Jesus is mentioned all the way back in Psalm chapter 2, many, many years before he even walked the earth. God was pointing us toward what was going to be the answer to the rebellion in this world is going to be Jesus. And I added sonship because the book of Romans says that Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. In other words, he was the first one to rise from the dead and, and really be called that beloved son. And then he invites us as his sons and daughters into that relationship. Jesus is calling us brothers and sisters. Imagine that. So the answer for the world is Jesus and then the sons and daughters through the church that he would send into the world as a result of his work on the cross. And then act four, Jesus is the world's only hope of redemption. I want you guys to, to, to notice that that last paragraph, it's written to the kings, it's written to the rulers of this world. What is the psalm saying? Hey, if you're in authority in this world, Make sure that you line up with God's ways. Make sure that you get to know Jesus because it's not going to go well with you in the end. And I want to add one more thing. The psalm said that the father said to the son, ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. There's another thing that God's speaking to. And this is a huge theme through all of the book of Acts and all through the, the New Testament is that God was gathering the nations to himself. That every tribe and tongue and language and nation, that's why God's racial reconciliation, it's not just this conversation to be had on the side. It's not just an addendum that we add on to our ministry. It's not just something to talk about because it's the cool and the right thing to talk about. It is literally embedded in the word of God, embedded in the gospel itself, that God is reconciling the nations not only to him but to one another. 
because we have this picture at the very end of it says that the, the nations are gathered before the throne of God. And what does it say? It says every tribe and tongue and language and nation. That's why this current conversation on racial reconciliation needs to be, we need to press into it. We need to step in and bring biblical justice, bring a gospel-centered awareness to what God always wanted, and that was for one church of many races and many languages and many nations to be together representing heaven to earth. Amen? So it's with this foundation of Psalm chapter 2 that we head back to the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4. So let's go back to the prayer meeting. I want to point out a few things about the prayer meeting in Acts chapter 4. See, their only prayer in response to the things that were going on, to the persecution, to the struggle, to the shaking that was going on, they asked two things of God. And I want you to notice they don't ask for deliverance. They don't ask for the threatened, the threats to stop. Now, they're not putting their head in the sand. They're not saying, oh, everything's fine. No, they're like, God, consider their threats. They even, as they're praying, they even mention like Herod and Pontius Pilate. They mention the names of governmental leaders. Like, they're threatening us, God. Consider their threats. But they don't ask for deliverance. This is what they ask for. The first thing they ask for is that they would receive boldness to continue to preach the gospel. They're not worried about being delivered. They're not worried about, they didn't ask God to remove Pontius Pilate or Herod from leadership. They just said, keep, help us keep preaching the gospel. Because they knew instinctively that the only hope for their world was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only people that could bring that gospel was the called out ones, the church. The anointed sons and daughters of God that were full of the Holy Spirit. So they didn't ask for deliverance. They just said, give us boldness to keep preaching this gospel because we know as it impacts society, as it impacts all the different realms of society, we know that we're going to see change. That was their prayer. And secondly, they asked another thing. They said, give us the boldness to preach the gospel, and this is what we ask of you, Lord. Stretch out your hands to heal and show signs and wonders. What were they asking for? They were asking to, for, the, for a church to be a supernatural church that would walk in everything that Jesus paid for. They were, they were asking God, guess what? Give us boldness as we preach the gospel. Now, but we're asking you to show up and heal some people. We're asking you to show up with signs and wonders. We're asking you to show up in power. That was their prayer. Oh, that we would get back to a prayer like that, church. You know, when you're in this thing for so long, you know, you, you get an understanding of healing or, or you get an understanding of, of the gifts of the Spirit or you, you get an understanding of these things and you, you pray and sometimes you see amazing things happen. I could tell, I just, the things that I've experienced in the Lord and, and seen, it just, just amazes me to this day when I think about them. But you pray for a lot of people and you, oh man, nothing happened. So it's easy to let our hearts get tired and weary and, and stop praying for the miraculous. But that's not what this... Acts chapter 4 church did, they said, no, grant us boldness, but we also want to walk in the supernatural power that you've given us. We sang it earlier. When we, it, you know, when I first heard that song, when I lift my voice and shout, miracles start breaking out, I thought, man, that is, that is a bold statement. And I know that there's a lot of folks that were, you know, brought up in different parts of Christianity that say, man, I don't know that we really could say that. 
But if you look at scripture, you look at the Acts uh, church and you look at what Christ has done, we as his sons and daughters can say those things. And we can step, step out and operate in them, not as some mystical thing, but as a natural outflow of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that's what the Acts chapter 4 church was contending for. So they prayed in response to persecution, in response to their freedom being taken away. Okay? This is where we're at, guys. In response to all these things, they didn't pray for deliverance. They didn't curse their leaders. They were aware. They, they, were, they didn't put their head in the sand, but they just said, help us preach the gospel and walk in supernatural power. That's what we're called to be and to do. And then what immediately happens after they pray that, pray that prayer is very important. I'm going to read verse 31 again to remind it. It says, the, pr- the place where they assembled was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Again, I want to point out how unique it is that in this particular prayer meeting, the room was literally physically shaken. Again, we see the Holy Spirit coming in, in other moments. We never see Again, at least recorded in Acts, the room being shaken like this. Now, I think God is saying something very specific and very clear to that group of people. See, I, what you got to remember is that the early church, where they came out of a, the Jewish tradition, many of the early believers, most of the early believers, especially by, by uh, Acts chapter 4, had, had come, come out of the Jewish understanding of who God is. And so they would have been very familiar with Isaiah chapter 6. And I want to submit to you guys today that what was happening in Acts chapter 4 was very similar to what happened in Isaiah chapter 6. And all of their minds would have gone there and said, oh, that's what God's doing. So with that in mind, I want to read Isaiah chapter 6. And let's pull just a few things out of that. You'll see this on the screen, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphim, which were basically angelic beings, were standing above him. They each had six wings, and with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew, and they called to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of armies. His glory fills the whole earth. And then look at this. The foundations of the doorways shook at the sound of their voices, and the temple was filled with smoke. That's why we use smoke machines today. <laughs> My little worship leader joke. Sorry, I had to throw one in. But look, isn't, look at some of the similarities. I think there's some striking similarities between Isaiah chapter 6 and what we just read in Acts chapter 4. Number one, in the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah points out that there's an upheaval of political power. There's even names mentioned. You know, Uzziah is mentioned in, in, in uh, Isaiah chapter 6. Pontius Pilate and Herod are mentioned in Acts chapter 4. There's an upheaval of political power. There's a juxtaposition. The earthly king dies and the Lord is exalted. There's a transition of power. There's chaos happening in both situations politically, but the Lord reigns over all of it. See, we've got to change, I believe, our perspective on how we see some of these things. 
You know, Isaiah, you know, he said in the year King Uzziah died, and then immediately he brings in the reality of the power and the glory and the kingship of the Lord. He could have just stayed in the year King Uzziah died. We lost our king. It was a hard year. It was a bad year. He doesn't do that. So for us, what can we say? We could say, hey, in the year of the pandemic, I saw the Lord lofty and exalted in the lives of the 32 people that were baptized at Vertical Church a few weeks ago. That's what we could say. We could also say, hey, in the year of economic uncertainty, I saw the Lord lofty and exalted as Vertical Church reached out to children and equipping them and feeding them. See, that's the kingdom perspective. That's the heavenly perspective. The pandemic is just something that happened while we, we were, while we were living on this earth. It's not the main thing. The Lord being exalted is the main thing. And there's never a time that he will not be exalted. There's never a time he will not be lifted up. There's never a time that the kings of this earth will be brought low and he will be exalted. It's what he does. It's who he is. So we got to change our perspective. You know, when I was younger and I would read Isaiah chapter 6, I, I kind of memorized it in the NIV, so it's a little different than this. But when I read this, I would look at the angels or the seraphim that were surrounding the throne room of God. And they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And then they would say this, the whole earth is filled with his glory. And I read that one day as a young person. I said, how could the angels say that the whole earth is filled with the glory of God? Even if you just read chapters 1 through 5 of Isaiah, you see destruction, you see war, you see judgment, you see difficulty. And you don't have to look very far in this world to see all those things. How could those angels look at the earth and say, the earth is full of God's glory? And I want to submit to you is because they have a different perspective than we do. They are literally around the person of Almighty God. They were in the presence of Almighty God. So everywhere they look, there's God. They see God first, and then they see the world. So how could they not say the earth is full of the glory of God? See, church, we have been called to have a different perspective. We have been called to see the end from the beginning, we can look at the end and say, the Lord will reign. He will rule. He will make everything right. And therefore, we can look every day at the world and say, the earth is full of the glory of this God. And that's what he's called us to do and to be. I noticed a couple um, a couple weeks ago now, I, I got COVID. My wife got it first. And we, we, you know, had the quarantine together, and then the very, wouldn't you know, at the end of the quarantine, I get COVID. And so our quarantine lasted a long time. And man, you know what, you know, I noticed myself just kind of, because I had all the work done and all the, you know, Zoom calls were over, and I just kind of just flipping, scrolling through Facebook. You know, ever find yourself doing that, and 15 minutes later, you're like, what am I doing? Well, that was me for, for a couple weeks or so, and I'm just scrolling through it, tons of input and news and people's memes and all this kind of stuff. And I noticed my joy level and my peace level were at an all-time low. And my anxiety level started creeping up, you know. And so I thought, man, I, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to take seven days and not look at, I'm not going to scroll through Facebook. There's a few things I got to post that kind of because of my job and that kind of thing, but I'm just going to post it and then get right off. I'm not going to scroll. And I did. 
For seven days, I did not scroll through Facebook. Can I tell you, my peace level went up. My joy level went up. My anxiety level came down. I was able to look at the world in a different perspective because I wasn't always seeing all the stuff, you know? And that's what God is calling us to. So Isaiah chapter 6, Acts chapter 4, you've got the temple filling with smoke. You've got the believers being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts, the, the, in the Old Testament, the temple filled with smoke was a type and a shadow, was a forerunner of what God would do when he would fill his sons and daughters with the Spirit of God. So again, lots of similarities here. And then lastly, the place was shaken. I believe in Acts chapter 4, when that, when that building started rumbling and they were experiencing the filling of the Holy Spirit, their minds were going to Isaiah chapter 6, and it reminded them and encouraged them, oh yes, the Lord is exalted. Oh yes, the Lord is exalted over the kings of the earth. And we have a responsibility because they remembered how Isaiah responded. And I want to read it right here in Isaiah chapter 6 to finish this out, 5 through 8. He said, this is Isaiah speaking. Then I said, woe is me. He's experienced this, the building shaking, okay? The seraphim are there. There's smoke filling the temple so that, you know, while the things are trembling, he's like, woe is me. I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And because my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs and he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is removed and your sin is atoned for. I want to point something out here. The very second that Isaiah asked for cleansing, the very second that Isaiah recognized his sin and recognized he needed forgiveness, forgiveness was already on the way. It was not this, uh, you know, God had, oh, I got to think about it, Isaiah. You said some pretty crazy things. No, it was already there. The, the angel, I love the action there. He grabs the tongues. He grabs the coal from the altar, and he flies over to, to Isaiah. Your sin is atoned for. That's God's heart for his people. That's God's heart for you and for me. As soon as we mess up, your sin is atoned for. As soon as we go to him and, and, and say we need you, your sin is atoned for. How much more in this new covenant we don't need a coal from the altar. We have the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been shed. And he said, it is finished once and for all. It's done. And then he goes on. He said, then I heard the voice of the, ask, of the Lord asking, who will I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. So when the building that they were in shook, they knew they were sent. They knew that they were the sent ones and went out to proclaim the gospel with boldness in a world so filled with upheaval and brokenness. Is our call in 2021 any different? Is, it so, is the world we live in so different today than it was in Isaiah ch chapter 6 and in Acts chapter 4? Yeah, it's, it's a lot different in many ways. In many ways, it's a lot better, but in some ways... It's still the same. There's still upheaval. There's still brokenness. There's still the rise and fall of nation. But our mission and our call has never changed. We are the sent ones, sent to go and bring healing and restoration. See, I know you guys have been in this whole season in 2021. You started with your miracles 
sermon series. You went into let's go and then into reboot. God's had you on this journey. And I'm here today to just encourage you that you are sent into this community with the life and the love and the power of God in you. And I'm here to just remind you that the Lord is exalted above everything that the news and Facebook can throw at you. He is exalted, and I want to encourage you in that today. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 says this. It says, we are hard-pressed on every side. Just like those early believers, they were pressed from both sides of the spectrum, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We're struck down but we are not destroyed. See, guys, we may be shaken, but we are still sent. I'm going to ask you to just come. I'm going to close with this. When we look at this time of shaking that we're stepping into, and I'm not prophesying anything. I, I am not saying that this is the Holy Spirit or the Lord. Things could get worse. Just like in any nation, at any time. Things could get worse, but you know what? If they do, then we as a community get to double down and say, you know what? God is still on his throne. And you know what? If, if things become, if it becomes like illegal to preach the gospel or whatever, you know what we get to do? We get to double down and say, you know what? We're a community together. God grant your servants boldness to just keep preaching. And then God, you know what? We're going to trust you to show up with miracles and signs and wonders. So we really have two choices. We can, we can look at the situation around us right now and we could lift our voice in anger or we could lift our eyes in expectation. We could hang our heads in defeat or we could raise our chins in the hope of victory. We could point a frustrated finger at the world and say it's all your fault and it's this group and that political party and that group over there that's making all these things worse. We could point our finger at the world or we could point it up towards Jesus. We could close our hands into fists or we could open them to receive the broken because that is what the church has always been called to do. So when there's difficulty, we keep praying. When there's difficulty, we keep meeting together. We keep sharing the gospel. We keep trusting him. And we keep pointing this broken world to Jesus. And we keep opening our hands to the foster kids of this world. We keep feeding the hungry. We keep healing the broken. And Jesus will be lifted up in our culture, just like he's called us to do and to be. Let me pray for us today. Jesus, we sang earlier, you're worthy of it all. And we recognize, Jesus, that from you flow all things. Jesus, you are the center of the church. You are the head of the church. You are the first and you are the last. And you are everything in between. Jesus, be magnified, be glorified among us. And I'm asking you to help us manifest as your sons and daughters in the earth so that your name will be glorified. 
that your name would be glorified in Zealand and Holland and Hudsonville and Borculo and all the surrounding areas. God, we want to see you lifted up. We love you, Jesus. I bless this church. I pray for an increase in every way as they, be, as they share the word, as they meet together, as they pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for letting me come and share. Bless you guys.